So if you want to get a nitpick on my fee or say, I need you to just be cheaper, but give me the same service, there may be a misalignment in values here. Something may not be working if you think that I'm just supposed to do this for cost. Like design is not a charity service. Construction is not a charity service. It shouldn't be. So pay for what you value. Welcome to Disjointed. Our podcast mission is to bring a voice to the problems facing decision-making in the built environment. Today, communication and processes are disjointed in the world of design and construction. Work happens across tools, teams, and timelines, making it hard to keep everyone connected. It's a constant challenge to reduce friction and meet project expectations. We believe there's a better way. Well, welcome to another episode. I have a great guest today. We're going to unlock some of the new positions being created in our world of pre-construction here. I have Damian Hamlin with me. Damian, say hello. Let everybody know where you work, what you do, and we'll get rolling. Sure thing. Jeff, man, it's really great to be here with you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Again, Damian Hamlin. I am an integrated design director with McCarthy Building Systems. I am currently in Atlanta. Nice. So, that's a kind of a new position in the world. Give me a little bit of an idea. On our side, we hear it called a design manager a lot, but you know, you're, you, you've got a lot going on in the changes in the way we're delivering projects. Yeah. So ultimately back in the day, I would say design management wasn't really needed because we were collaborating more across the industry. We found these separations. We found these niche professional services. You had your construction manager over here in a silo. You had your architect over here in the silo. You had your owner or your owner's rep over here that was kind of brokering the piece um, and looking for some collaboration. We're looking for a better way to do that. Coming from the McCarthy side of things as a, as a construction manager, we felt the need to be more collaborative, try to find ways to bridge the gap between architects and construction managers through the entire project delivery. So these design managers, you know, what I pride myself on is having a, a solid understanding of construction, risks, liabilities, expectations, business model, and then the same thing on the architectural side. You know, we, we let these things get so disjointed and so separated that when we have to come together and work as a team, we've been screwing up. We've been making it a lot harder than it needs to be. Everyone's been afraid of liability or afraid to give up trade secrets or afraid to not appropriately, you know, cover their backside. And through that, we're not talking. Everyone's guarded or there's a lot of miscommunication or talking past each other. And the projects are suffering. The people who are trying to execute the projects are working way harder than they probably should be. There's a lot of rework and I, I know there's a better way. I, there, there has to be. It cannot be this hard to build good buildings. Uh, you hit on a couple of things. I mean, I think fear has led us to a lot in the industry as to the way we operate. And I mean, risk avoidance and fear kind of drive a lot of that. How have you guys gone about in the process of breaking that down and sort of addressing it? Because you can't just say, well, don't be afraid, right? Right. So- Fear drives us to make some really terrible business decisions. Now, there's there's some practicality. Like for the things you don't know, there's a reason to be fearful. So what do we typically do? We add some contingency to projects. 100% makes sense. And scheduling. We have some concerns about the schedule, design 
issues or construction issues will come up that we didn't anticipate. That's humble. That that's the right way to think about it. Like we don't know everything. So you put in float in your schedule. Those are the types of things that make good business sense. And, and, and I'm glad we have those practices in place. But when you start to build these walls up as a protection mechanism, you're not communicating or you're not sharing information. You're not exchanging models. You're not talking about contract scope of services openly, or you're afraid to talk about your fee. You're afraid to talk about your profit, which are different depending on who you're talking to. Like we built up these walls based on fear and we're not collaborating. And then we're not making the best decisions. So we're talking about these things more openly. We're trying to create more transparency in our operations. We're trying to exchange models without fear of getting lambasted or, or slamming somebody else for not making a good enough model. We're trying to find ways to collaborate that says, hey, if there is a little bit of risk or some unknown in this, let's talk about it by showing some vulnerability and saying you're not perfect. But you know, our industry says if you're not perfect, you're liable. And therefore there's the fear. So Yeah, it's great to hear you talk about it because if we sit in our silos and we do have a problem, communication's the way to solve it, right? Communication's actually the way to get to the best outcome. But in at least in former delivery methods, we weren't really incentivized to do that. You were actually incentivized not to. You were incentivized to try to shift blame, shift responsibility, point out what somebody else may have done wrong instead of owning your piece and simply moving forward with, hey, we had a problem here. We didn't catch it in time. This happened, that happened. You need to talk about it as a team and need to come up with the best mitigation strategies. We struggle to do that because there's this liability that we think people will, on the other side of the table will take advantage of. And from time to time, it happens. But in general, I, I think if we give each other some grace or the benefit of the doubt, you can talk about not being perfect. They will talk about not being perfect. But let's say you're still getting a 91 on the test as opposed to 100. That's okay. You know, that's not the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. It's still it's still be well beyond a passing grade, right? Exactly. It's well beyond a passing grade. And I'm not looking for mediocrity by any stretch. I'm actually thinking that you'll get better outcomes by giving people space to breathe and communicate better. And I think that there's this great book that I read um, years ago, and it just, it opened my eyes. It's, it's by uh, Covey, and it's called The Speed of Trust. And what happens when we don't trust one another as business partners, we start putting all these layers in place. We add this, you know, it's not just contingency and like a dollar value for unknown things. It's not just float in a schedule for unknown activities. We literally build up all these layers of protection because we don't trust each other. And then there's redundancy in activities. There's redundancy in contingency. There's redundancy in schedule, you know, sandbags. Like we do this over and over and over again, and we're wasting money. We're inefficient. We're probably not communicating as well. No, we're definitely not communicating as well. All because we have these shields up and these layers of protection that are built on fear. And ultimately the client and the project suffers, the project team is spending more time in CYA mode than solution finding mode. And that's that's where most of us got in the business to do. It's like, hey, this project is a puzzle. Let's try to solve this puzzle together. Nope, I'm gonna try to solve this puzzle 
twenty percent of my job. The other eighty percent is CYA, and that's that's not effective use of time and resources. No, it, it really isn't. And one of the things is just being honest that each group is in there to make some money. I mean, there's there's this fear and like, hey, we're here to make money. Like we're all in business. It's not why we're in business, but it's like you know we were talking cars before this, and it's like I don't drive my car to use gas. I drive my car to get places, but the gas is the fuel. The money is the fuel so that I can show up and I can do it again. And so have you guys found that, that there's a struggle to just say, Hey, look, like here is our fees. Here is where we're at. We are here to make money. Like it is that has that played a part in creating some transparency? Jeff, man, that is an amazing point. And this does come up a lot. This is one of the most difficult, like transparency things that we have. I love partnering sessions at the start of every project. I love conditions of satisfaction narratives at the start of every at start of every project. I believe talking about making full fee on a project is not a bad thing to say. It's fair. It's reasonable. If you don't have good fees, you can't support the business. You can't do research and development. You can't innovate. You can't try new things. You can't pay good people. You can't find new talent. Fee is necessary to not just execute a project, but to grow and sustain a business and also weather the storms that come through business. So fee is not a dirty word, but everyone's afraid to mention it because we feel like it's going to be the target that people focus on, especially in construction management. Like the fee that gets made, we're talking in usually percentages, single digit percentages. Mm -hmm. The cost is in... Like 90% is in general conditions, general requirements, which is maybe another 10 to 12%, um, depending on the type of project. Maybe we're getting into the 15s. Everything else is the building material and the labor that installs it. There's, yes, there's some, there's insurances and the like, but grand scheme of things, focus on the project. That's the driver of all the costs. That's the driver of all the effort and the energy. That's where we should be focused on. So if you want to get a nitpick on my fee or say, I need you to just be cheaper, but give me the same service, there may be a misalignment in values here. Yeah. Something something may not be working if you think that I'm, I'm just supposed to do this for cost. Like Design is not a charity service. Construction is not a charity service. It shouldn't be. So pay for what you value. Yeah, pay for the expertise. Pay for the talent. Yeah. And pay for the consistency and pay for the experience. The expertise and the experience are key. And it's really funny because again, I get to sit here out on the side, right. And kind of roll through each of the silos. And my favorite thing is, is, you know, I'll sit down with a trade contractor and I'll be like, yeah, they're always just driving you down on your fees and trying to make you cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, and you're always trying to drive up and get more money back from them. Yeah. Yeah. And they go, wait a minute. Is that, and I'm like, wait, just so you guys all realize, like, if you enjoy working with that, with that GC or that CM, oh yeah, yeah, we love it. They know our process. We know each other. I'm like, so if you keep driving their fees down or taking their money, they're not going to be here. And hey, hey, owner, oh, you love that GC, but you want their fees to be cheaper. Don't you really appreciate the quality of people they have and the quality of thought they bring and the experience? Yeah. I go, well, you want them to be in business next time too, don't you? And everybody goes, oh, wait a second. You're right. It's like, 
And the quality, I, I had this in, in the first season, if anybody wants to go back and listen, Ryan Furtag was there in, in the first season and he talked a lot about paying top dollar for quality teams because of exactly what you said, Damien, drives down overall cost because the waste is astronomical when it comes to doing things wrong, doing rework, not understanding how to build things. So paying up front with a little bit higher fee, which is, by the way, not as huge a percentage of the overall cost, can save you far more. And I, I was just glad to hear you go through that. Yeah, it's an investment. I, I believe that it's truly an investment. You will get what you invest in. Again, we're talking about cars. I think we all would say that there are certain cars at a certain price value that have a shorter lifespan or may not perform as well in the long run as another car that may cost you more. I'm not here endorsing any single car manufacturer, but you know, we we intrinsically know that you you basically get what you pay for, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're going to get what you pay for, you're going to pay for some value. I mean, we talk about it in clothing. We talk about it in cars. We talk about it in housing. We talk about it in all these other services and in, in products. There's a quality discussion to always be had there. And there's a value for that quality that we talk about. You know, that value, we can immediately talk about it in terms of a dollar value. Or we can talk about it as an investment at a dollar value for a greater dollar value return in something later. Yeah. I would like to think that it's an investment now that may be higher than what somebody who's offering, hey, whatever they charge you, I'll charge you, you know, a percent less. Okay. You can do that, but you may not get the returns you're expecting. And that lack of return can cost you far more. Not to mention if we're talking about buildings, I mean, my preference is to work on 50-year buildings. Like I enjoy that institutional client that likes their buildings to deliver for them as an asset for, you know, decades. We're not talking about a blip on the radar here. The life cycle cost of a building is the gift that keeps on giving or taking. This has been our conversation the whole time. You just, you just grabbed that one for me. 20% of the overall cost of the building is in construction. 80% is in the life of it. So not only are you scrimping if you're if you're focusing on that fee on the construction phase, you may be suffering down the line. You definitely will. And hey, back it up a second. The design phase too. Designers are getting squeezed on fees right and left. Their expertise in designing good watertight buildings that are are paying attention to building sciences and they're evolving bringing new technologies into buildings, saving on energy costs and, and beating ASHRAE by 30 plus percent or heck, let's go net zero. You know, there's all these things that get decided by designers and engineers in the early stages that will, again, cost you in the long run if they're not done correctly. So You're- skimping on that expertise is a bad investment Well, and it's a confusing thing too, because uh, there's this misunderstanding when we're talking about what you do as a design manager for a construction management and in through this process is that you're taking more of the work away from designers, but you just said you're not, that the designers can't be squeezed on fees. Tell me how that's, how 
what you're doing as a design manager is actually helping them not get squeezed and get more value? Great question. So one of the things I always, I, I believe as part of my role is to advocate for the project's best interest. And then to talk about who's best equipped to deliver the project's best interest, the value. So I don't want to see architects or engineers fees squeezed so much that they can't execute the work effectively. And I would say the same thing on the construction management side. If they get squeezed to the point where they can't operate effectively, or one mistake is going to bring them down and therefore not be able to keep their best people on the project, the project in the long run will suffer. The client will suffer. Neither the architect or the construction manager can be a good business partner while they're losing money. I'm also one to advocate for the death by a thousand cuts. It's not acceptable by a client. So if a client is giving you a scope and then changing that scope over and over and over again, we need to reset expectations in terms of schedule and fee for all those changes because the work has now become unproductive, inefficient. Um, you've got out of sequence decision making. You're telling people to zig and then you're telling people to zag. We can't deliver our best work in that mode. Nobody could. So as a design manager, I feel like I have a position where I'm not so in the one side of the table or the other. It's purely project. Now, the other piece of that is assessing fees and, and getting good value is appropriate. So if I believe that like, hey, the level of effort, once we talk about it, is X, is X plus fee. If I believe that it, that's being taken advantage of, I have no problem saying that. Like, let's, but let's talk about it respectfully and professionally. Same thing on the construction management side. And then let's talk about scope of services. Let's make sure you're not doing something more than was expected or less than what's expected. So let's make sure we're all on the same page about what it takes to get task A done from a design and construction perspective. Let's talk about, you know, reasonable value engineering. And let's say the value engineering activity for a better mechanical system um, or a different mechanical system. Let's say construction costs is going to save, I don't know, $100,000. That's That sounds really attractive. But the revision to the design effort is going to cost you $50,000, right? The net savings is still 50%. And then if you want to get in the life cycle cost, let's make sure you take that into account. But it's a total package discussion to have. And sometimes we, we divvy each other up into these silos and we want to discuss these things in vacuums. When we discuss them in vacuums, we're probably not making whole project decisions. And the owner and the project suffer. Yeah, no, we're not. And and you're you hit on something, and I'm just gonna call it out. It's accountability across the board, right? And that accountability is driving value. So if the designers know that they have, you know, Damien there and someone or someone in your role there, because it's not just you at the organization doing this, you're holding people accountable then they know they can give their best value and input and work diligently on the things that you're giving them, which means the owner gets the most value, the construction gets the most value out of it. But you're, you know, you're saying, listen, this is reasonable for you all to do. But hey, owner, you're now starting to cause more costs by waffling. Let's let's make sure we're focused. Everybody wins in that because everybody wants to do a really good job, produce a really good product, 
But sometimes we're tentative because we're afraid for that. We're, you know, waiting for the next shoe to drop. Like, oh, great. You're going to change your mind again. Everyone's been burned. And, and yes. I get that. And I, and I want people to realize there's no dismissing that. Um, there are challenges and institutional protections that need to be put in place. Mm-hmm. That's never going to go away. But at what point is it detrimental to effective work? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing we, I'm not knocking the whole legal profession. I'm not knocking the whole insurance profession by any stretch. They have, they have a role to play, but then there's a judgment that should be applied. How risky is this? How, like, was this a one-off and should we, should we turn our entire industry on its head or our entire business on its head because of one or two instances? And, and that's a judgment call. That's a business decision. That's a challenge to the industry that will always be evolving because that's the nature of, of life. Like we're all evolving into different and tougher decisions. And with experience, hopefully you've discerned some wisdom in how to apply those lessons learned in the future. It may, hopefully it's not scorched earth and change everything and yep. get rid of this and get rid of that and never say this again and write this term in every contract and, and fight for it every time, destroy the relationship in the process. I, yeah. That's, that's a lot of the challenge. I don't want to kill the legal profession or the insurance profession, but I sure want to take a little bit more of their cut and add it to our bottom line. And no offense to y'all that are listening that are in that space, but it's because I would like to see that happen because we've evolved as an industry. Let's be honest, a lot of the insurance fees and a lot of the, the legal fees are as high as they are because of the exact same things you're talking about. And they'd rather be focused, I think, and not just CYAing everywhere they can and adding language everywhere they can, but understanding that in the legal side, they're protecting their clients from things that, look, they can't happen and we need that piece. And from an insurance perspective, that they're getting, you know, they're insuring on good things that we can't plan for. You said this before, we, we don't know everything. And so things can happen. So that, that's why we have those things. But I'd certainly like to see some of it come over to us on the construction side and the design side and get more back into the projects because we got better, right? Cause then we're winning. I, w- I would hope that we are all getting better and learning every day through every project, through every collection of team members that you're picking something up and learning something new and carrying it forward. Yeah. One of the other things that I, th- I think design management does and me as a practitioner of it, my goal is to help that communication between our construction management and our design teams because they have gotten so siloed often we're talking past each other or we're failing to articulate our concerns with each other in a way that lets us work together, acknowledge the issue and then mitigate the issue to each other's mutual satisfaction. If I've got a concern as a construction manager in, in somewhere over here that I'm not voicing, but I'm behaving in a protective manner without voicing the actual thing I'm protecting, no one can help you. No one can assist you. No one can address your concern. They're just trying to deal with the way you're trying to protect that issue. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, same thing. If the designer's got a concern about the liability between a delegated design component and something they're responsible for, if we can talk about it, then we can say, hey, I'm writing this into a trade partner's contract. They've got this registered engineer taking this responsibility. We don't need to double it up. Mm-hmm. Or this fear is being mitigated by this practice, how we will execute. Here are the meetings that we will do to make sure that your design intent makes it across the table and gets to the trade partner. Or we're going to have that meeting together. Who said you couldn't come? We'll be at that table together. 
So let's talk about concerns about waterproofing details, or let's talk about attachment details. Let's talk about, you know, the aesthetic concern and how we want this to finish. Like, there is no reason why we have to be doing this in silos the way that we have been. When we go through a budget, like target value budgeting is another big exercise I think design managers help facilitate. What value do we want to assign to the skin? What value do we want to assign to the mechanical system? What value do we want to assign to the landscape? Well, if you've got a healthcare client who believes that walking gardens around their property is really important because they see long-term benefit in recovery, then we need to allocate the proper value to the landscape budget. If someone is really concerned about, you know, trying to get to a net zero, mechanical system efficiency or electrical system efficiency is going to take a larger value in the capital cost because you want lower operational costs. Mm -hmm. These are how you assign values based on a agreed upon conditions of satisfaction. But if you're not talking about it, if we're not, you know, as a team hearing the importance of an issue or a component or a feature of the building, you can't help. You can't help. You can't be part of the solution. And then you don't understand why the value is being placed there. And you, you, you're cutting things like to your VE, you know, reasonable value engineering previously, it was like a hundred thousand dollars savings, but Hey, it's actually not because of, you know, the revisions to the design. Well, let's start at, does it even support the values that I have for this, this facility? No, because net zero is my value. Then I'm not willing to VE this thing out because I did architect it in such a way that it's going to do all these things over the life cycle. And those values, Damien, are shifting right now. You mentioned it in healthcare. This has been a new one for me. Like healthcare in the past was really about number of beds, you know, fitting everything in and there was really poor lighting. And, you know, it was like going into an old office space or into a school, old school, not new ones. And people have started to realize that they value more than just the number of beds, but the quality of experience of the patients that come there and they want to focus their money in those areas, like the gardens before and open the ability to see and views. It's like, oh, you're trying to be flashy. No, it's actually proven that it's helping their patients. And overall, that's what your, you know, owner builder values. And it's, it's up to you all to deliver all of that. Right. Well, and so to that point, there's a great point. So think about it this way. If you are a business partner, you're looking to find and share and perpetuate the values of everybody in that business partnership. I can't be a good partner to a healthcare client if I don't understand their values. Like why is something important to them? What helps them be more effective? A lot of healthcare systems are shifting from a sick care model to a wellness model. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to improve wellness outcomes? Well, our clients are going to help us understand what that is. And then our design and construction management team is responsible for translating that into the built environment. So you're telling me that you want better natural light because you know that it provides better outcomes, creates a better environment for the staff. Okay. How can we do that? How can we do that in a cost-effective manner? If you tell me that that's your mission day one, then we can focus there. We can put some attention there. We can apply our expertise there. We can bring the right partners and, and trade partners, class manufacturers, energy modelers. Like we can bring all of them to the table 
and we can come up with the best solution. But if I don't know what's important to you, I may bring the wrong person to the table mm-hmm. or we may be having the wrong discussion. And then a client's frustrated because like they gave me this building design, but it's dark as a dungeon. Yep. Well, I didn't know natural light was so important to you. Yeah. Let me go work on that. Let me go grab the right experts to make that now happen. As soon as I hear that that's your value, that's your mission, then I can get on board with that mission and I can I can be a steward for it. If I don't know it, I can't help. And what a great position to be in too as an owner. If you can put together a team of designers and construction management and trade partners that can deliver and you can put an idea out there, that's the other beauty is, hey, this is what I value. Go create something innovative. And what do designers and architects and engineers love to do more than anything is design something that exceeds the expectations of their owners. And then to work with a construction team that can deliver it. Like the best designer doesn't deliver it. So if it's not delivered well by construction, nobody wins. And the nobody wins. Yeah. We we all have egg in our we all end up with egg in our face. We have a client who's unsatisfied. We've spent a lot of resources to deliver something that nobody's like writing home about and, and saying they're proud of. That's my nightmare. <laughs> Because we put so much effort, we all pour our hearts into this effort that never fits within a 40-hour work week that's never happened in this industry yet. (laughs) Like, I I think it's, it's important for us to step back and remind ourselves, no one here is trying to screw somebody else, really. We're all trying to do a good job for our clients and hopefully have a team that wants to go have a beer with each other at the end of it. That's like Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all rolled into one. It's all of it rolled into one. And it's the one thing that I find all the time is at the end of projects, I find so many teams going, oh, okay, Whew, we survived. We should want to do that again. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, I, Damien, you give me hope because it's people like you that are aligning folks to get value out of what they do. But at the end of the project go, that was awesome awesome. Let's go do it again. And everybody wanting to high five and win their way into the next one to all work together, right? Why can't we deserve and and have that new experience? Wouldn't that be a different way to end? Like my wife would be happier because I would probably come home happier. (laughs) You know, like we all pour ourselves into this business and we got into it for what I believe are pretty, you know, altruistic and positive reasons. And then we we fall into these silos and these traps. And then it's like us versus you. And I'm like, I'm not interested in the us versus you. Like if I wanted to go be against somebody, then I would go into professional sports and be on the opposite sideline of somebody else. Like that's not what we're here to do. Yep. And I definitely don't want to put a client in the middle of, of a designer and construction manager trying to referee between some grown adults who are not on opposing teams. Yep. I mean- I'm afraid that that's where our market had gotten to for a long time. And we're just finally remembering to come back to one another. And instead of like, hey, you sit on this side of the table, I'll sit on this side of the table. Like, hey, why don't we try sharing office space? (laughs) Why don't we sit next to each other, like shoulder to shoulder on this and, and really collaborate? So before the designer goes and inefficiently draws 15 options, Let's talk about the one or two that really do make sense, that fit within a budget, that fit within a schedule, provide some guidance on waterproofing details or curtain wall skin systems and 
let's hone in there before we go waste a bunch of effort, energy, and time, and then just leave people frustrated. Well, and to wrap it up, you've got it. Like so much of design intent and delivery doesn't just take into account aesthetics. It takes into account that waterproofing. It takes into account all of the things that you were just covering from a technical perspective as well. And cutting it down to one or two options also allows us to deliver that with more quality. And then again, as a designer and all the designers I've talked to, architects I've talked to, design intent, making it to the field, making it to the finished product is so much of what they're focused on. And it seems like you're doing that and you're facilitating that process. We're getting better at it. This is a team effort. It's a team sport. And <laughs> it's the goal of it for me is to say, if we absolutely cannot make something happen, let's talk about it quickly, but let's pivot to something else that can and gets us close. I'm looking to see what we can make happen, how we can execute a design intent, not how we don't. Like just saying no is not an option. How about no, but what if we try this? Does this get us closer? Does that still, you know, help execute on the sacred cow that you may have? Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. If not, let's keep working on this. But I know where your I know where your focus is. I know why this is important. Let's go do that. Now, can it be everything in the building? Probably not. You know. I'm not going to knock the custodial staff, but like how much space does the custodial staff need to execute? Let's make sure we're pragmatic in giving that space. Mm-hmm. Lounge space for the staff that support the building operations. Well, if your employer retention program as an employer is really important and we need to put some extra oomph there, then tell us that during the design phase and we won't look at it as a space to save cost yep. or save value. We'll say, hey, this is an employee retention effort. So we need to make sure that it meets the intent for employee retention. If it's the built environment for education, you know, certain environments have shown to do to create better outcomes. Yep. So if that's where we're headed, we're going to spend some more time there and that's okay. We're going to spend some more money there. That's okay. And then it's a balancing act. Yep. Um, but as long as it's transparently done, I think everyone can understand, hey, we're placing the value where the team through conditions of satisfaction have agreed they need to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to sum it up with, you know, communicate your values to us and we'll give you value back based on that. And that's what we're going to do. Thank you. I'll trademark it or I'll just give it out. Everybody can use it. Damien, we could go on for hours. We did earlier in the pre-sessions. I could continue on, but I got to wrap us up so that we have an episode here people want to listen to. Tell people where they can connect with you if they want to learn more about what you're up to or at least what's going on in uh, in the world of McCarthy and the world, Damien, because I think people are going to want to know more about you. Uh, I'll be surprised, but always welcome. Um, I enjoy good conversation. I enjoy um, bouncing good ideas off of folks. Uh, this is how I think our industry gets better. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Damian Hamlin. Um, I'll be at the Design Build Institute of America conference uh, coming up in November. I'm, I'm a big proponent for integrated project delivery and, and through design build work and design build contracts for sure. I am bouncing back and forth between the East Coast and the West Coast right now. So catching me in the airport is not surprising at the moment. But uh, yeah, dhamlin at McCarthy.com. You can, you can email me directly. I'd love to talk to anybody who's got great ideas. For the same passion. Seriously. 
I think you will. And and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person at uh, DBIA's annual event this year. I'll be there. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely catch a beer and we'll definitely continue these conversations. So I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Disjointed. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. To learn more about Disjointed or read the show notes, just stop by disjointed.fm. This show is brought to you by Join, the decision-making platform for the built environment. Learn more at join.build.